And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic We're back talking MotoGP here on the Race MotoGP podcast but for this episode we're going to talk about not what's on the track but what's in the general universe of MotoGP Valentino Rossi's arrival and the endless rise in the sport from 1996 all the way through the birth of MotoGP in 2002 and then through his seven titles in the top class carried the sport to a huge audience that otherwise would never have seen motorcycle racing. He transcended the sport worldwide to an audience that would never have otherwise watched on TV or even attended a Grand Prix itself. In his pomp, he won seven consecutive MotoGP races at Mugello. That's from 2002 to 2008 consecutively. 100,000 people came to watch him on race day at Mugello. It really was massive. But after Valencia 2021, he retired and he's only been to a couple of races in this past season 2022. Val and Simon and here are here with myself, Toby, for a chat. And the subject we've been given is, does MotoGP need to get over its addiction to Valentino Rossi? Well, where do we start? Um, addiction is a strong word. Um, I was there through from his very first race in 125 in 1996 um, and followed him all the way through um, there certainly was an addiction to Valentino Rossi because he was the superstar he was the rock star um, but now Simon he's gone he is indeed uh, and and what prompted this discussion uh, internally within sort of the team at the race was a few tweets of mine that then morphed into an opinion piece around the time of Valencia and the last race of the year because of the hype being made by MotoGP about Valentino Rossi's presence at that race. Uh, I, as always, have opinions, and my opinion at that point was that they were... There was almost more hype being made out of Rossi's presence than there was out of the fact that, uh, that, that Bagnaia was online to win the championship. So just to clarify, what Simon's talking about is this recent Valencia just gone, the last race of the 2022 season, uh, hyping the fact that that, that Valentino was was coming along as a, as a team manager, man, as a spectator, man in paddock. Um, and maybe that took a bit of the shine off what was going to be a championship showdown. There was a very slim chance that Quattararo could have taken the championship, but you never know with Valencia races. And, and you know that... That initially was something I talked about before the weekend. And as far as I'm concerned, what I expected became reality through the weekend because essentially what we saw on Sunday was more shots of Valentino Rossi on the last lap of the race and after the checkered flag than we did of Alex Rins, who won the race. We we fell into this 
you know, I, I understand that he's an important character, but it wasn't his championship. It wasn't his race. And it's indicative of something that I see as, as a bit of an issue across the board in MotoGP, where we're still relying on Valentino Rossi to sell the championship when he's long gone from it, essentially. He's not there anymore. Yeah. And and when I say we, I, I don't mean that this is something the series promoters Dorna do necessarily as a standout above everyone else. We're all guilty of it. You know, the entire uh, organization that goes into promoting the sport, be that media, be that TV, be that journalists, photographers, the organizers, the circuits, the promoters of the individual races, everyone relies on Valentino. And it's not very sustainable, is it? No, I mean, he. I, I, I wouldn't say he's long gone from the championship. I, I look at it that they've got to wean themselves off him. Um when Mick fell off at the beginning of 1999 at Jerez, so May, you know, he, with hindsight, he never rode a bike ever again. Uh, that stopped his his career there and then. Um, but when he came to back to the paddock, it was, oh, you know, there's Mick, there's Mick, there's Mick. Slightly different circumstances, but you kind of know, where, know what I'm saying. Um, I wasn't there when Kevin retired in 94. Five to not then ride again. So, um, but he's still a superstar in a, in a in a lesser way, in not such a huge way. I look at it maybe that they just got to wean themselves selves off him. Don't get me wrong; the TV coverage of that last Grand Prix at Valencia twenty two was not great. It was you know not enough views of of, of Alex Rins about to write this unbelievable fairy tale of winning the last Grand Prix for Suzuki and then pulling out that night. Yeah, it, it was not great. Um, but let's... Maybe, we, maybe we're having this conversation a year too early. Who knows? Val? I don't know. I think we're having it a year too late, maybe. Um, weirdly, because I actually do think Rossi has been long gone. I think he has been gone for all intents and purposes ever since his form disappeared, which... I'm a little bit hazy on the timing right now, but I think it was maybe after COVID or, you know, the COVID diagnosis sort of coincided with, you know, Valentino Rossi of these, this past decade has not been the Valentino Rossi of that first decade, obviously. But Valentino Rossi of the past couple of years that he was racing, so his penultimate year and his final really bad season with with Petronas Yamaha, that was a, a totally, different, t- totally different Rossi entirely. And I... I remember, you know, when I started out in in this line of work and, you know, a bit of there's going to be a bit of how the sausage is made here, which maybe isn't always the best idea to share. But yeah, here you go. I think in 15, 16, there was sort of an unspoken mandate to like when Rossi speaks, you turn it into a story. When somebody mentions Rossi, you turn it into a story. Uh, your first priority is to hear what Valentino Rossi says about what's been happening on the track. And then looking at the others, obviously sometimes events would overtake that, but on on the average weekend, on the average weekend, that was the case. And, you know, 2015 justified it, for instance, Valentino Rossi was the story in 2015, but slowly and surely and gradually his his name disappeared from the front. And, you know, we stayed with that for, for a few years while, you know, Yamaha struggles were entertaining. Although arguably I'd say the Maverick Vinales portion of that was, was the more interesting storyline. I don't, 
I, I, I understand the Valencia thing and I, and I hear it. I noticed it certainly, but I've, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've noticed like a massive addiction. I, I just say maybe there's a void that isn't entirely filled, but even then I think that void has been partly filled by, by Mark Marquez. I, I, I don't think it has at all. I think that Mark Marquez just does not have the Valentino Rossi appeal. And even if he did, it's worth noting that he's the second oldest guy in MotoGP. You know, the guys he's racing against are 10 years younger than him almost at this yes. point. Um, the, the, you know, I don't like making comparisons between MotoGP and Formula One because they're not the same thing, but it does lend itself to comparisons on some things. Uh, and more so than on anything that happens on track, I think the business of the sport lends itself to more comparisons. Um, when you look at Formula One, and when you talk to a few people who work in Formula One about things like merchandise sales in the UK in particular, they're they're big stars at the minute. Their big sellers are the George uh, Russells, the Lando Norrises, the kids coming through. Yeah. Um. Th- so what Formula One essentially has done is they've they've superseded Lewis Hamilton at a time when Lewis Hamilton is still at least 2015 Valentino Rossi. So they're, they're, they're five years ahead of Hamilton's retirement, arguably, to use this sort of strained MotoGP comparison, whereas MotoGP are two years behind Rossi's retirement. You know, th- there's a huge gap there that we as a championship haven't exploited, haven't filled, haven't pushed the new generation through into. Um... And that, that worries me a little bit about the, the future of the sport. Um, just to pick up on what you said, Val, before I worked for the race, I worked for a, a print media publication who took any opportunity whatsoever to put Valentino Rossi and Guy Martin, weirdly at the same time, on the front cover because they were guaranteed sales. Um, and sales as a whole took a hit whenever we lost the ability to put Valentino Rossi and Guy Martin on the front cover. And it, it became a point where there was criticism coming the way because the, the reasons to put them in the front cover were becoming increasingly tenuous. Uh, but it was still happening because everyone was still relying on that sales boost. Um, and I, I don't really know how we dig out of it, but there has to be something we can do as a whole. But the, you know, the thing you say with... You know, with with Marquez and Rossi being different, I just I'd, I'd want to zero in a little bit on that because obviously in terms of reach, I I 100% see what you mean, and probably in terms of personality too. But at the same time, I think I've also felt in terms of storylines and coverage and traffic from what I've seen, that Rossi hasn't been replaced, but it feels like Marquez is now in that position, but just not you know yielding the same sort of results but still significantly overshadowing the rest of the grid if that makes any sense and i know we that's you know that's also a problem because we can't rely on him even if he's healthy from here on out to the end of the to the end of his career and i really hope so um obviously the thing is i don't know even though i've done some marketing in university but i've I've clearly not done enough to know what MotoGP should do and how it should approach this situation I think that the best way to do it is to have the natural the natural process where your guy is challenged by some other guy repeatedly over and over and over on track and a storyline is built up. Um, 
you know, Max Verstappen wouldn't be the name that he is right now, even with all his Dutch fan base, if he didn't have the, the needle with Lewis Hamilton and the drama. But it's not something you can really do organically. And even if you do, I'm, I'm not sure that guarantees things happening. Like, for instance, you say that Marquez isn't as big as Rossi, and he isn't. I just went to check their Twitter followers. Rossi has two times more, which still, you know, you'd maybe expect 10 times. So two times more isn't shocking. But, you know, they had the biggest fallout in, in MotoGP in years. It's an absolutely massive, crazy, global story. And if that wasn't enough to, to sustain the pace for a few years on, then I don't, I don't know what would be. Maybe, maybe we should have sold Sapang 2015 even harder. Um, th- there's, there's an element as well to the, the differences in Marquez and, uh, Marquez and Rossi that maybe means that we're looking at this from a slightly different or from a slightly wrong perspective in that I, we know that Marquez's fan base is from a different continent. I think it's fair to say that he is bigger in Southeast Asia than Valentino Rossi ever was. But while we remain a sport that runs out of Europe and and that seemingly needs European TV audience and Europeans to turn up to races, the worry is that uh, it's not enough. You know, maybe maybe the way to make these guys bigger stars is not to try and make another Valentino Rossi. It's to just completely pivot the whole thing to Asia. Yeah, we're in a we're in a we're in a state of flux. Let us remind ourselves that over the last four years, we've had four different MotoGP World Champions: Marquez, Mir, Quattararo, Bagnaia. It's not the Rossi, Rossi, Rossi that we had when he was in his pomp, or the Mark, Mark, Mark when he was in his pomp. Uh, we don't know if Mark's going to be as good again. Bit of a question mark over that. I think we all know the answer to that. Uh, he's not going to be the same Mark. And certainly at the moment, not on a Honda. Different podcast subject. <laughs> Whole hour, by the way. Um, so we're in this state of flux, and there's there's yet to be a strong character, because actually what we're talking about is not results, but a character. We've, we've got to have that character come through and show themselves, and then the fans will naturally gravitate towards him. Unfortunately, everybody for the next 15 years will go, oh, of course, it's not the same as Valentine. Oh, of course, it's not the same as Valentine. Oh, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. And we've all been guilty of saying something about life. Oh, it's just not the same as. But something will change. The world does. We are a very, very clever lot, the human race. And we will move on to something. Um, With him attending races, uh, he is going to attend races. And You've seen it as well when Mick Doohan walks down the paddock on his own in Hareth at Mugello at Suzuka and people rush up to him as if he is, you know, they've maybe waited and seen him race and waited all these years just to shake his hand, just to shake his hand. Well, it's because he's Jack's dad. Exactly. Yeah, well, he is now on the the television (laughs) coverage. Yeah, Yeah, joking aside. I'd also interject that the the difference is that you normally find out that Mick Doon is at a race because you see him being swarmed by fans in the paddock and not because there's been an official news story that's then been ran by 20 other outlets in the week prior. Granted, granted. And as he will age, it will get less and less because the people who supported him will not be at as many races. So 
you know, Ago can walk around the paddock and he's not mobbed, but he would have been 20 years ago. So it's a time thing, really, and and it, 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 it's how they're going to wane and age in people's minds. But at the moment, Valentino has only been gone 13 months in a lot of people's eyes, not 13 years that Mick's been gone. Oh, I, I, I do think the interest was already declining fairly significantly that final Patronus Yamaha season. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just, you know, that was my personal perception. But also, the, the, the announcement thing was weird. I agree with Simon, really weird. And it, it was made weirder by the fact that I think you don't have to be a, you know, a top psychologist or mind reader or whatever to see that Valentino Rossi did not want his presence to be made a big deal. There were no big photo opportunities, no nothing, no anything like that. He was, you know, I think in sunglasses for most of it or something like that. He was just, you know, trackside. Um, you went to congratulate Pekka Banyaya once, you know, Banyaya won the title, but there's not like a ton of photos of him. And, he, and I don't know why. It's, it's, it's uh, because like part of it might just be that he's done with that part of his life and no longer craves the MotoGP limelight and just wants to do his own thing in GTs and see his friends in the MotoGP paddock. And another part might be that he didn't want to steal Pekko's thunder, either perfectly understandable. But, you know, whether he wants to keep being the MotoGP center of attention or doesn't, it's obviously not sustainable. As, when he's not riding and fighting for victories, there's nothing you can do. You can trot him out there every single day as a TV pundit. You can have him wave the start flag and wave the finish flag. It will not work. It will not do the thing. It has to be in a sporting context. But maybe, Val, he went just for his own personal reasons, which is he did start the VR46 Academy. Yeah, absolutely. And there was sure. his rider winning the World yeah. Championship. He did stop. We were all, we all saw on the television coverage. He did stop and just have a quick photo with Gigi or whoever was taking yeah. the photo. Four seconds, it was done. And then that night, or was it the next day, we saw the one from 10 years ago with Banyaya as the little kid yeah. with Valentino with the Fiat Yamaha leathers, movie style leathers, whatever they were. And it was, look what happened. We've all seen the Mark photos of him getting an autograph. Yeah. Of all of the George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, the whole thing. Um, and then, well, that was his day done. He's achieved the ultimate for VR46 yeah. Academy. So he was there for that moment as a businessman. Yeah, but it, it was not a publicity thing. It was a, it was a personal thing, very, very clearly for yeah. me. That's the thing. Like, none of this conversation is in any way a criticism of Valentino Rossi's presence at Valencia. He absolutely justified being there. He deserved to be there. He had every single right to be there. Um, but like you say, Val, I think it was very clear that he was not there to get publicity for Valentino Rossi. Yeah. And we've seen a few other ex-champions of late who are turning up to races to make sure that their brand is still out there, to make sure that they're still earning a bit of money. You know, they're doing TV, they're doing appearances, they're doing this and that. That wasn't why Rossi was there. N not for one second do I think that he was there for that. Um, and I imagine that on the grand scale, he probably understands why it's made a big deal of that he goes there. But I'd also imagine he's very much on our side and would rather that it wasn't made a big deal of and that he could just turn up and walk down the paddock and have a few people come out to shake his hands without a TV camera following him around. And, you know, he, he is a race fan. 
He's always been a race fan. Uh, you'll know that from day one, Toby. He's someone that enjoys watching races and being at circuits. Um, and I think he'd rather do that with as low a profile as possible. Well, he wants to be the invisible man. It's as simple as that. He wants to be wrapped up and nobody see him and, and therefore his own, his own just like fun day off almost. You know, he used to go and watch the Monte Carlo rally to go and watch Colin McRae. And he only told us about five years later. I thought that was really cool. That. Um, uh, but, you know, it was his own thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right about some other races. And they're all so different. That's what's so fascinating about any athlete or a motor GP rider once their helmet is off, how different they are with their with their with their their their, their outgoing personality and that makeup that they have when they're in a paddock. And some people never come back. Some people hardly come back and some people never want to leave and don't leave and can't leave and they, they just they just can't believe that they're not a works rider and yet they're 40, 50, 60 years old. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Now, I just heard you say, Toby, that they're all different people and yet we also sometimes hear the rhetoric that there are no characters like Valentino Rossi anymore. In the, in the championship. And look, I, I didn't catch most of Rossi's heyday live. I was, like, I was watching other stuff. I was playing on my PC and you know, studying and being in high school because I'm a child. But I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> that, that bit I don't get. 
I've seen enough Valentino Rossi in public to know that he's fun, engaging, and interesting, but he's not the messiah. There are plenty of current writers who I find equally interesting to Valentino Rossi, in, including, but not limited to, but I think particularly interestingly including, Mark Marquez, who I think is honestly maybe the most interesting MotoGP personality I've ever gotten to observe. Uh, very interesting in a different way, less engaging, with a smile that usually strikes you as sometimes less genuine, but very calculated. And in that is arguably more interesting. Uh, I don't like... I don't think we have a character problem in MotoGP. There are guys who are engaging and fun and funny like Valentino. And there are also guys who are, you know, those smiling assassins like Valentino. Uh, and both both do those bits quite well. And it's, I don't think it's their fault, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I, I disagree in a way. In that I've always felt that the, the thing that made Valentino Rossi different, the thing that made him stand out to me, was, yes, he is obviously all of the things you've just described him as. He is this, like, awesome, engaging character who, you know, is, is just good fun to be around, who says funny things, who does funny things. But the thing that made him who he is were the rivalries. Valentino Rossi was in large part made to what he was by Max Biaggi, by Satya Bernau, by Casey Stoner, by Jorge Lorenzo, by Marc Marquez. They, he owes as much to those five guys as, as he does to his own talent almost. Maybe not in terms of what he achieved on track, but certainly in terms of the brand that he built off track. Um, and the current crop of MotoGP riders are, are all different, yes, but they're all very similar in one regard in that they're all nice guys. <laughs> and dare I say it, like, do we need a bastard or two? Is that maybe what's missing? You know, I've, I, I've, I've said it for some time about World Superbike. They're all too nice to each other. Yeah, Look at what I, World I, Superbike used and to then, be. And then this year, World Superbike's has had a bit of needle again between Toprak and Ray and Batista, and suddenly everyone's watching World Superbikes again. My point entirely. You know, that rivalry between Mick and Max, pre-Valentino, whoa, you know, that was good. And and as you say, the Valentino-Max uh, thing at Suzuka edged him onto the grass on the home straight. It was good stuff. It, 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 it's a bit like Schumacher. He won all the races. He just ran away into the distance. Whereas Senna won a third of the Grand Prix off the top of my head, but it was a bigger thing because he was battling with Prost. <laughs> it was more of a clash. I mean, I would, I would, I wouldn't say Schumacher's brand suffered longer term from not, you know, from winning too many races. Like, you know, people will, you know, will lean back to the Hakkinen and the uh, the Alonso rivalries. Like when, when you've been around for long enough, people will find the storylines. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think we, we yeah, might yeah. be on the cusp of one fairly shortly. Like, it's all been fairly nice, but if Mark gets back to where he should be, we're still waiting for Mark versus Fabio. I think Fabio Carcharo is another very important person in this particular debate because the survey MotoGP released earlier this year actually had Fabio as the, the most popular current rider, I believe. And the most popular rider in the, I want to say, 26 to 35 demographic or something like that. And, you, you know, you can you can look at the methodology exactly and see, you know, 
obviously this is a, a self-selection of people who would actually bother to take a MotoGP survey, which is an important factor. But if we just got Mark versus Fabio for a full season, we're golden. Like that just that just solves the whole thing. You don't have to really do anything if that happens. Even though both are two polite guys, but Mark, you know, Mark is polite, but on track he's a he's a as you as you put it, Simon, he's a bastard. I don't think he'll he'll mind that particular phrase. He is a ruthless monster. Yeah. Ruthless. Yeah. Sometimes in a bad way, in an actively bad way, sometimes in a phenomenal, great, extremely watchable way. And seeing how Fabio would respond to that and hearing to what they're they're saying about each other. Because right now, Mark is like Fabio's biggest cheerleader. Mark has spent a good chunk of this season talking about how Fabio Quartararo, who's the best rider in MotoGP, I would say. Yeah, but they all do that and then they get shafted. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's oh he's a bit too quick. It's now. it's easier to say that when you're not in a direct one-to-one fight with him when you're a, exactly. An so some needle between the two, I think, would be the the perfect recipe. Even though I don't want specifically anybody to hate each other because that's that's not my worldview. But if we if it happens naturally, well, you know, all the better for us. I mean, yeah, we 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 know that Quadraro is not adverse to being. To making statements that he later regrets. Let's put it that way. Especially on social media. There's been a lot of Fabio Quattararo Instagram stories deleted long before the 24 hours after which they expire automatically. Because he says things. Um, He says how he feels and then sometimes he regrets it and sometimes he doesn't. Um, But a lot of that recently has been directed not towards any of his fellow competitors, but towards things like the FM with a GP Stewart's after the, the thing in Assen. They've not been directed, you know, at a rival. Um, partly, I think, because in the latter half of the season, him and Peko Bagnaya never really had any room to run together or to have yeah, anything like sure that happen. The, the yeah, only rival... Exactly. The only rival that he had contact with this year was Alicia's Pagaro, who is like his next door neighbor and BFF and Fabio babysits the kids at weekends and et cetera, et cetera. They're not going to have that sort of aggressive relationship. And also he was to blame. Oh, well, so. there, there's that too. There's that too. There's that too. Um, but Mark Marquez is, is maybe the guy that he will direct some of that blame, some of that anger towards. And that might not be a great thing for their personal relationship, but I don't think it would be a terribly bad thing for the rest of us. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Just coming back to a subject that we need to to, to concentrate on, you know, does MotoGP need to get over its addiction to Valentino Rossi? One thing that's, that's quite obvious looking at the screen that I've got here, myself, Val, you, Simon, you know, we're, I'm the older one here. I think I'm cracking on double the age of Valentin. Dare I say that, it's terrifying to think about it. And I still think at times I'm Valentin's age until I have a hangover. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, my point is, I, I you know, went into the MotoGP paddock. I was 23. And I did a few years and I kind of got my compass about where I was going and wh- how the paddock worked and who was the hierarchy. And I looked at the Michael Scott as the grandfather of the press office because he was, still is in a certain degree. You know what I'm trying to say, Simon? And and, and Nick Harris. 
and they'd go on about Wayne Gardner and they'd go on about Eddie and Julian did a bit of that. Oh, of course, back in 1985, this happened. And I'd go, because it's all about the now. For me, it was all about the now. And the now was Valentino on a 250 and Mick and Alex on Repsol Hondas and and this thing called MotoGP that was going to happen. And, and it did. And, and a Honda V5. And it was all about the now. And... Like you, Simon, there's nothing else in your life except MotoGP. It's just that. I'm being paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. For the job, it's all about MotoGP. And it's a it's a wonderful drug. Um, so maybe I'm the old one with the more rose-tinted spectacle because I was there. I remember commentating when he won. Valentino Rossi has won every single MotoGP that's taken place at Mugello. You know, seven on the bounce, and and, it, and you've been there on a sunny day, and it's a wonderful place to be. And there's a hundred thousand nutcases from all over, not even Europe, the world, cheering one bloke, and you think this is kind of just fun because it's this cauldron of emotion, and I love the emotion of sport, as you all know. Um, but maybe because you didn't see it as I saw it, you're seeing things that I don't see because I don't go to every race. You're seeing things. You're, you're me from 25 years ago. Is, is that the difference here? The, this is going to make you laugh. Um, I'm sitting in my sort of home office and there's a bookcase opposite me with a copy of Michael Scott's book and Valentino Rossi staring back at me. Um, I went to that launch. I've got them both <laughs> signing, having signed it, and it's upstairs. I, I don't know if it's an age thing. Um, because for me, the differentiation here isn't about age. It's about how much you watch MotoGP. If I'm on a plane or if I'm, you know, in a cafe somewhere in the world and I get talking to a stranger and they ask what I do for a living and they're not a sports fan and I tell them I work in MotoGP, they, about 50% of them will say, is that the one with Valentino Rossi? It's the same with the Dakar. Is that the one that Mark Thatcher got lost in? That was 1982. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But he's he's the guy, Rossi for me is the guy who was able to engage the non-MotoGP fan in our sport. And that more than anything else is, is the, the dividing line for me between what he has done and what others have done. Um, it's not necessarily a generational thing. It's not necessarily a, a nationality thing. Um, it's essentially about how much you watch MotoGP. And, and that's, you know, going back to your point about the survey, Val, uh, Quattararo was ranked very, very highly as a fan favorite, but he's a fan favorite among favorites of MotoGP, among fans of MotoGP. Yeah, no one apart from maybe Mark Marquez in Southeast Asia in particular is a popular character outside of MotoGP at the minute. Because the thing about surveys is you're marking your own homework because you're asking the exactly. fans. Uh, the, the survey that no sport can really ever do is to ask the people who are what I call as the floating viewer who dip in, dip out and will never fill out a survey because actually their main hobby is watching football or rugby or cricket or something. So, yeah, uh, that's that's the golden goose that no one's ever found as a sports promoter is to speak to the people who are just on the fringes. And, and maybe that's... Maybe we're conflating a drop in, in attention from MotoGP with the departure of Valentino Rossi, when the actual reason is that in a lot of countries it moved to pay-per-view TV. 
So maybe the, there's two issues here that we're we're sort of cross-contaminating our thinking with. Uh, and it's the fact that those casual fans can't see Marc Marquez rather than the fact that Marc Marquez is not Valentino Rossi that's causing you know, this slump in, in the sport at the minute. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's potentially probably true yeah because well just because it's the only explanation that that makes particular sense to me and again this is this will sound very anti-rossi and i don't want to be anti-rossi because you know he's a this huge uh, part of this sport we all love and the great entertainer and i've i've seen more than enough great valentino rossi rides to you know to recognize who he is and what he's done but this cult of personality thing he's just you know there were other great champions in, in motorcycle racing, and there will be, and there are right now. And a lot of them are engaging and interesting in, in, in their own way. Uh, so for me, the pay-per-view explanation makes sense. Uh, I think, again, as, as, I, as I alluded to before, I think Mark is every bit as interesting as Valley, just in a very different way. I think Fabio is a very interesting guy. I think Pecco and Juan Mir are very interesting guys. Sean Mir, I'd listen to, talk, to him talk for like an hour. Um, I, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's too easy an answer to, to say that it's, you know, it's, it's Rossi's exit. And it's also too easy to think that what if we de-aged Rossi by 10 years and brought him back? Would that work? It'd be good. Like, we don't like watching that. Maybe he'd finally get his 10th, but I don't think so. So maybe... That brings us full circle to the topic of the podcast and whether MotoGP is addicted to Valentino Rossi. And maybe the actual answer to the question is that MotoGP needs to stop thinking it's addicted to Valentino Rossi and do something about the fact that no one can watch races anymore. Mm. Cheaply, well, anyway. Yeah, there are, there are less eyeballs watching per yeah. race. Well, I mean, That's a fact. Yeah, we've, we've, we've sort of heard some whispers of your numbers for this season in the UK and it's it's literally an order of magnitude less than it was in the the heydays of of BBC and Eurosport with yourself, Toby. You know we've went from one point two million viewers a race to one hundred and forty thousand viewers a race, something like that. Mm, 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 totally, and that was free to air. And yeah, that just you know one point two for the Beeb. We'd get two fifty, two eighty. Our record was four nine five. Why? Because it was British Grand Prix and it poured with rain. Gulwar's Yamaha crossed the line with the violin. It poured with rain. Nobody went out, so they all watched television. So the luck was with us. Um, and yeah, we got we had good numbers even with an hour delay uh, after the BBC in the the last five years. But uh, there are less eyeballs watching, uh, as you say. That is a, a hard fact because in Spain, it is not free to air nor is it in Italy. You have to pay for it, like, for example, Sky F1. You have to watch it live here in the UK or wait five, six hours to watch it on Terrestrial, by which time the kind of the kind of buzz has gone out of it. I believe the only country in Europe where it's free to air at the minute is Germany, Austria, because it's aired by Red Bull, by Service TV, which is a division of Red Bull Media House. Which we should say that, that probably points to, to the fact that the the pay-per-view thing, while clearly a factor, must not be the only factor because Formula One has survived its pivot to UK pay-per-view quite, quite you know, confidently. It's doing fine. A lot of people can't watch that would like to watch, but you know, the popularity of the sport is doing great, and it you know, it has been astroturfed so that 
the new generation of drivers are very, very popular, especially among the youth, I say, as if I'm not the youth. <laughs> but it was the popularity was increased overnight by something that was free to wear, essentially, because it was Netflix and it was only seven quid a month to get Netflix. Yeah, I guess. Not 20 quid a month and you've got to lock yourself in for 12 months to get Sky F1. Yeah, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not sure. I see what you're saying. I hope that you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I do. But, I do. You know, it, it, it re-sparked my interest in Formula 1. I'd waned a bit and I watched the Netflix thing back in early 2020, beginning of COVID. And I went, all right, can't wait for the first race. Of course, it never happened. But yeah, it, it, it was a great behind the scenes thing because it was behind the scenes and it was the stuff that you never saw. It's the kind of stuff that we see every day in mother gp but it was good to see it from another another view in another sport it's probably just a it's a thing i need to accept and look at the numbers at look at the like the surveys and the focus groups because for me always the the perception for me has been f1's rise can't be solely due to drive to survive because drive to survive is bad and that's not how things work like that's you know the world doesn't work like that you might think it's bad but it's worked for f1 yeah, I, and I do think it's bad, I should say. I really, really do. But, you know, the Twilight movies all scored below, well below 50 on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic aggregator or whatever, and they still made Boku bucks. So, I don't know. You have to, you have to sell out in a good way, I guess. This is, <laughs> this is off topic. But there's, there's going to be, there's got to be something like that for MotoGP, but it's, Obviously, they tried their Drive to Survive thing. I guess they made it a bit too good and also botched the release completely. I, it's tough. I, I don't know. It's it's difficult for me to see the, the causation and the direct line and the obvious way forward. There was something like that for MotoGP long before there was Drive to Survive. And, and arguably, it's a large part of why Valentino Rossi has the popularity it has, because... Long before Netflix were thinking about a Formula One series and MotoGP were trying to copy it with Amazon, uh, Mark Neal was having Brad Pitt narrate a documentary series about Valentino Rossi, which is really cool. Like, you know, Brad Pitt at the height of his superstardom, talking about MotoGP to, at that point, an American audience, I guess, mainly, who'd never heard of the sport, had to have a huge, huge impact on on taken Rossi and others to where they are now. And it did have an effect because people came to Laguna Seca and to Indianapolis having watched Faster and Faster 2 and Fast Est and Dr. Ten Tornado Kentucky Kid and all that kind of stuff. We had three American races in a season at one point. Yes. Yeah. My, you, you, yeah. Bingo. We both said, backed it up exactly, you know. Um, I've always said what I what Mark Neal did was was brilliant, and it would last the test of time. You could watch it and go, "Cool, blimey, that that's cool." A bit like on any Sunday, or a bit like the Le Mans Steve McQueen film. You know, oh, that that's a glimpse of what it was like in early seventies at Le Mans. I mean, we uh, should say that before Drive to it's not like Drive to Survive popped out of nowhere in the in the general F one landscape media landscape because in the in the years before Drive to Survive, there was of course Senna and there was Rush. Which I think too, you know, they chipped away at it. I'm fairly, you know, the people still talk about the Senna documentary. And Rush was, I don't think it was Oscar nominated, but it had some Oscar buzz. It was a really good, really well-made Hollywood movie about Formula One. Uh, 
somebody to write a really good script, I guess. But you know, just for 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 Dorna reasons, ah, uh, it would it be like a Spanish Netflix show? Could you do no, that? No, no, no. I don't know. It's easier than that. The conclusion of the conclusion of the podcast on whether or not MotoGP is addicted to Valentino Rossi is that someone needs to make. Uh, Matt Oxley stealing speed into the Hollywood movie that it's been in production for for 10 years. Because there's your story. A Cold War espionage drama centered around the Grand Prix paddock based on real world events. You know, that, that's got the potential. Mm. Rush was nominated for a Golden Globe Best Motion Picture yeah. Drama and Supporting Actor. Nominated. And rightly so. It's awesome. It's I really love good. Rush. It's yeah. really good couple of issues but it's- yeah, yeah yeah but there's always going to be a couple of issues so yeah we we need someone to make oxley's book into a film that'll solve everything oh look there's snetterton <laughs> oh there's thruxton we jest we jest well let's see how murder gp fares into 2023 regarding valentino rossi and 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 how they publicize him it's as simple as that really publicize him if and as and when he comes to a racetrack. But I think uh, there is one fundamental thing that we all agree on. Not that we've really disagreed much in the last 40-odd minutes, but if he could be invisible but walk around the paddock, he absolutely would. He doesn't crave publicity. He doesn't crave it one jot because, funnily enough, he's had it. And honestly, if we could just... If it was as easy as just you know having him as a team boss present at every race and you know being in front of him, if it was as easy as that to boost MotoGP's popularity, then it'd be like a win-win for everybody. Because obviously what what Rossi has done for Motor and MotoGP beyond riding, the riders that his program has put into there, it is it is enormous. It is an absolutely enormous, wonderful effort. We are we are so much richer as a sport for for Pecco Bagnaia, Franco Morbidelli, Luca Marini, and Marco Bezzecchi. It is it is a wonderful legacy, but we can't lean on him. That like no. and you know and if he doesn't want to be there constantly in front of the cameras, then there's nothing you can do. And if he does want to be there, then that still won't be enough. That's that's my thesis for it. There's one thing that I just thought of, and I should have thought about it mid mid pod. Is we should have asked somebody who was there when Ago became the team boss with his Yamahas, we should have asked somebody what it was like when Kenny stopped racing and then ran Marlboro Team Roberts, um, that transition. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll speak to Scotty or Julian or somebody like that and we can report back. But uh, let's see what happens over time. Now then, uh, we've also got another podcast again with Tom Jojic, one of the crew chiefs who's worked up and down the pit lane, including with King Kenny at team roberts for many many a year uh please send in your listener questions for tom to answer anything about the 990 era the first five years of moto gp the 800 cc five years and then the thousand cc era that we are in at the moment uh far off your technical questions 
Uh, do it now. Send your questions in, your voice messages in to podcasts at the-race.com and then we can give them to Tom and then he can answer them. In the meantime, uh, Simon is wintering well. The beard is growing. Uh, Val has got the heater on. I'm sure he has. And I've got the sunshine pouring through the windows at the moment because it's very cold here in the UK, but very clear. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, do leave us a review from wherever you get your podcasts. From Val, from Simon and myself, Toby, we'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic. <laughs>